Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of New Philadelphia Nazarene. Hey there, thanks for joining us this week. We are talking about the second part of Jesus' teaching from Matthew 7 on relationships. Last time we talked about relationships, it was relationships that we have with others. This week, it's the relationship that we have with God. Now, this scripture passage, this ask, seek, knock passage is pretty familiar to us, but we're going to kind of look at it through a different lens this week. Grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. And let's talk about the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. I hope you have your Bibles. This is going to be really helpful this morning because we're going to study out of it. Um, And so uh, turn in Matthew chapter 7 and then keep that open there. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at several other verses together this morning uh, as we get started. Now, uh, last week we had uh, just the awesome privilege of hearing from uh, Jeff and and Susan Myers, our missionaries to Papua New Guinea. Uh, were here to share with us about the work that they're doing there. That also marked the ending of our season of prayer and fasting, 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I know that many of you participated in that at different levels, and I just really hope that that was an encouragement to you, that as you went through that time, it challenged you a little bit in your walk with Jesus, that maybe you learned a little bit more about God, and maybe you learned a little bit more about yourself. Um, And and the truth is, we're going to have another season of fasting coming up here very soon as we step into the season of Lent. It'll be a little bit different feel, but, but I want to uh, remind you maybe of what this 21 days of prayer and fasting was like for you and encourage you as we step into Lent uh, to approach it with the same uh, attitude or maybe with a better attitude if you didn't approach it well the first time so that maybe during that time that God can really stretch you and you can grow in, in your walk with Him. Uh, this morning, however, we're going to continue our discussion about relationships. We started this a couple weeks ago before we had our missionaries here, and, and we talked about uh, what Jesus teaches us about relationships in Matthew chapter 7. And this morning, we're going to talk a little bit more about relationships as we look at the next set of verses. So open your Bibles, turn to me, Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 7, and let's read this together. It says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. When we started our conversation a couple weeks ago talking about relationships, we talked again primarily about <clears throat> the relationships that we have with others. And, and, I rem- and I talked to you, reminded you about the fact that how we choose to interact with other people becomes for us an opportunity to, to, to show them the love of Jesus. How you are interacting with your spouse, how you are interacting with your children, how you are interacting with uh, your neighbors and your coworkers, every interaction that you have every day is an opportunity that you have to show them what it looks like to love like Jesus. Every relationship that we have, it creates an opportunity for us 
to, to show people, to create a, an opportunity for them to experience, rather, the embrace of Jesus. It becomes a tangible demonstration of what we sometimes call the here and now kingdom of God in our everyday lives. It, really, for us as followers of Christ, it needs to be much about the kingdom of God in the here and now. Not just about what is to come. We are to be faithful. We are to be obedient. We are to be loving and be kind and compassionate. Now Jesus talked about in these first six verses of Matthew chapter 7, and he warned us about a judgmental spirit. He said, it's so dangerous. And the truth is that we have no place making the kind of judgments that we often make. Our primary response to anyone and their circumstances or their situation simply needs to be this. Based upon what I am seeing and what I am hearing and what I'm feeling, how much mercy and compassion and love am I going to shower this person with right now? That's the judgment call that we are supposed to make as followers of Jesus Christ. Based upon what I'm seeing, based upon what I'm learning, based upon what I'm hearing, how much can I love you? How much do I need to love you? And all of this centers around the relationships that we have with other people. But then, in verse 7, Jesus shifts the discussion to a different relationship. It's also a very important relationship. It's a relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. One of the things that we have heard for many years in the church, and we continue to hear this thing that's said, is that the most important thing that we must do as Christians is to love God and love people. You heard this before? Love God and love people. And really, uh, uh, some churches have even made this their, their mission statement, and it's a good one. It's not a bad thing. Love God and love people. Yes, absolutely. We are supposed to love God, and we are supposed to love people. But, and part of loving people ties into what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. If we're going to love them, it means we've got to show them mercy, and we've got to show them compassion, and so on. And then that means that we can't be in a continual state of judging them. Do you hear me this morning? If we're going to love people the way God tells us to love people, I can't constantly be judging you and determine whether or not I think what you're doing is right or wrong. If I'm going to love you, that's not my role. But the problem, I think, with this particular statement, love God and love people, is that it glosses over what Jesus actually said. When Jesus was asked, by one of his disciples, what's the most important command for us to keep? He didn't reply with love God and love people. He didn't say that. What he said was a, a little bit more complex. This is what he actually said. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It's a little bit more than love God. He said, this, this is the first and it's the great, greatest commandment. He said, the second, just like it, Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is familiar to us because we just talked about this a couple weeks ago. It ties in very well with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. He said, do unto others what, what you would have them do unto you. But this week, as we look at the relationship that we have with God in light of what Jesus says in Matthew 7, I think it's important for us to begin this morning by clarifying what it looks like to love God. 
Jesus said this when he answered that question, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. And Jesus was not just making this up. It wasn't just something he came up with on the spot. They would have heard this before. This would have been very familiar to them. We can go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, and we can hear what God said there. He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments, Moses said, that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In case you haven't figured that out, that is all of the time. Moses says these things that I'm telling you must be a part of your life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And this must be something you're talking about and teaching all the time. He says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So when Jesus answers the question, what is the greatest commandment? He is simply reminding them of what they have already heard, what they have already known for generation after generation after generation, but for some reason, this is what he had to say to them. This was the answer to the question they should have known. Why were they even asking the question? Oh, by the way, Jesus, what, what is the most important commandment? Are you kidding me? You've known this all of your life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The most important thing we're supposed to do in our lives is to love God with every, every ounce of who we are. From, from, the, from the tips of our toes to the top of our hair or our bald head, for, for every part of who we are, every expression from the deepest, most part of our gut every part of our lives is to be an expression of love an example of love a demonstration of love for god when we love god it's supposed to be an all-in type of deal and this is where the nation of israel fell short and this is why the question was by the way what's the most important command because they had never really done it in fact, the prophet Jose gave a warning about being not all in or being unfaithful. And it's a warning that comes from God through the prophet. This is what he says. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. He says, there is no faithfulness, no love. No acknowledgement of God in the land. Let me just stop there for just a second. I, I, as I was reading this, I thought, this word love, it just seems, there's so many ways that love can be translated. And if you go and look this up in the original Hebrew, this love right here is the word hesed. And you know what it means? Loyal. A loyal love. So the prophet Hosea, God is speaking to me, he says, listen, there's no faithfulness, there's no loyal love, there's no acknowledgement of God in the land. Does it sound familiar? Does this ring a bell? 
There is, there is no faithfulness in our walk with God. There's no loyal love to God, let alone to one another half of the time. There's no, there's no acknowledgement of God in the land. We deny Him. We push Him out. We remove Him from our books. Does it sound familiar? And then he says this in verse 2. Because of this, I'm sorry, there is only cursing and lying, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds, which means there is no boundary. There's no limit. They just do whatever they want to do. There's, there's no stopping point. There's no moral compass. And bloodshed follows bloodshed. In other words, murder follows murder. Again, does this sound familiar, church? This is what the prophet Hosea is speaking. He's saying you have no faithfulness for God, no loyalty to God, and this is a result. You lie, you murder, you steal, you are adulterous. You have no boundaries in your life. He says because of this, the land dries up. And all who live in it waste away, and the beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. In other words, there is devastation. There is no life. There is hunger. There is sorrow. There is pain. There is hurting. Does this sound familiar? See, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength goes beyond the simplicity of just saying that we need to love God. And it steps into the realm of, of making a purposeful decision to give every ounce of who you are to Him. To surrender every part of who you are to Him. To allow God's Holy Spirit to, to invade your life in such a way that every thought and every word and every action and every, every deed that you do becomes a reflection of your passionate love for God. Understanding this is important as we look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. Because one of the mistakes that has been made with this teaching from Jesus is that if we would just simply, you know, if I'm just really persistent and I'm just faithful in my prayers, God's going to give me what I'm asking for. That's the mistake that we sometimes make with Matthew chapter 7. I just got to ask, seek, knock over and over and over and over again. God's eventually going to come through for me. Because that's, God gives good gifts, right? So he wants you to receive these good gifts. So naturally, if I keep asking, and I keep seeking, and I keep knocking, God who wants to give good gifts is going to give me what I want. What I think I need. But when I look at this, I don't think this is what Jesus was saying. This was not his intent. It was not his heart. See, when Jesus says to ask and it will be given to seek, and you will find to knock, and the door will be open. It's not as though he is giving you the combination. 24 left, 13 right, 11. He's not giving you the combination to access what he can do for you, to access his good gifts. But he was speaking very clearly about what must be at the heart of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. I thought it was appropriate I was, we were going to have this message last week, but I thought it was appropriate that we were wrapping up our season of prayer and fasting and we were stopping here to talk a little bit about prayer. To talk a little bit about the relationship that we have with God. Because it serves as a reminder for us 
that it is a faithful and a passionate pursuit of God that holds in place that relationship. I often make the comparison, and it's worth repeating this morning, because across the room, some of you have experienced this in different ways. Some of you are experiencing it. You have experienced it. Some of you want to experience it. So you'll understand when I say this to you this morning. It is only a faithful and passionate pursuit of God that will hold together the relationship that you have with Him. You hear me? Okay. Your marriage is the same way. It is only a faithful and passionate pursuit of whomever God has placed in your life that will hold that relationship together. That's the only thing that will make it stick. Now, I know a lot of Christian people, this is not a marriage series, I shouldn't go, but I know a lot of, I know a lot of Christian people who are married and one out. They're married and not in love. They're married and just figuring out a way to make it work. Married and just waiting for the other person to die. Married and just waiting for the kids to get out of the house. You laugh, you know it's true. Right? You know why? Because there's no faithful and passionate pursuit of the one that God gave them. And it can't be one way or it just becomes a weird chase. <laughs> It has to become a mutual, faithful, and passionate pursuit. And if you have that picture in your mind, and perhaps you know somebody, a, a couple of saints that you have seen married for umpteen number of years, and they are so madly in love with one another, and they just can't get enough of one another, you kind of think it's a little bit gross, but deep down inside you're going, that's what I want. Guys, that's what God wants from you. And he is faithfully and passionately pursuing you every single day of your life. And all he wants is for you to do the same. My wife and I have been raising kids for almost 17 years. Wow. And we have not learned it all, but I have learned a thing or two. We've had some high spots. We've had some low spots. And we have a lot more spots to come. But here's one thing I've learned. Every once in a while, one of my children will go through one of those rare, you know, unicorn Bigfoot seasons of life where they're really obedient. You know what I'm talking about, moms and dads? You start to ask, is this my child? You know, um, do I know you? Um... But when that happens, my spirit toward them is, is softened, right? Because a cooperative and obedient child softens the spirit, the heart of a parent. Children, listen, Tyler. When, when they're doing what they're supposed to be doing without me having to tell them what to do all the time, then they are demonstrating love and when, 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 when they're also, pardon me, demonstrating love and kindness to their siblings, Tyler, uh, when they're being obedient and they're showing respect to me and their mother, Tyler, I am so much more inclined to listen to their requests. Right? And on many occasions, 
I'll grant that request. Why? Because they have been obedient and they have been faithful and they have been respectful and they have been honest and I can trust them. The reason is simple. I am a good dad and I like to give good gifts. Right? Don't miss the point. God is a good God. He wants to give you good gifts. But when the relationship that is supposed to be at the heart of it all is non-existent, when we demand instead of ask, when we rebel instead of seek, when we kick in in an effort to get our way, we're like a rebellious and disobedient child who refuses to live by the standards that have been given to them in order to receive what is available for them. And that's not a relationship at all. We can't very, say that, can't very well say that we're loving God if we, if we demand, if we rebel, and if we kick. We're certainly not loving God with every ounce of who we are, every single cell of our bodies going after who God is. So what does it look like for us to ask, seek, and knock? Well, when we ask, we're coming to our Heavenly Father, we're admitting our inability to do it all on our own. We're asking for His help. The disciple John, he wrote about this in one of his letters. He said this, he goes, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that what we have asked of him. Now, John is, a, is an interesting character from Scripture. If you read John's Gospel, he refers to himself in a very specific way. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Right? John and Jesus were close, like brothers. In fact, there's a, there's a scene that we see in John's Gospel where, where, where the disciples are together with Jesus and, and, and Jesus had been talking to them and, and there came a point in the conversation where Jesus' disciples were like, what exactly is he saying? And here it is in John chapter 13, verse 22. It says his disciples stared at one another. They were at a loss as to, what, uh, to, to which of them he meant. And then right in that moment, Peter turns to John. He turns to John, he says this, hey John, would you ask him what he meant? That just strikes me as interesting right off the bat. Simon Peter, who's been with Jesus from the very beginning, turns to John and says, John, would you ask him what he meant when he said that? Why did that happen? Here's why I think that happens. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Picture that with me for just a moment. John and Jesus are together. And if you do some word studies on this, which I do that for you so you don't have to do it, John pressed his head into Jesus' chest. Now, for us, that would be weird today. You know, if, 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 if Mike came up and asked me a question, he's like, hey, Pastor, <laughs> I'd be like, whoa, Mike, COVID, boundaries. 
Well, in that culture, that was a, that was a sign of a, of a very close friendship. John pressed his head into Jesus. He was so close with Jesus, so in tune with Jesus. And so he asked him, Jesus, what does this mean, Lord? Who, who is it? You see, John, John had this, this, this desire, this, this passion to not, just, to not just to know Jesus, but to be so close to him that Jesus could see his faults and that he could see his failures. When he asked, he's coming to Jesus in complete humility, in complete desperation. Jesus, what's going on? Would you tell me? The closeness of the relationship has to strike us in some way. When we ask, we're coming to Jesus in humility, pressing our head against his heart so that we can hear his heart. To hear the heart of Jesus, to hear, are you that close? Are you able to press your head into the chest of Jesus? And to hear his heart. It begins when we have a desire to know and to understand God's will in our lives. When we seek, we are purposefully engaging with the mystery of God. Leaning into who he is, listening to his heart, just as John did. Jesus says in Matthew 6, we've talked about this in this series, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. There, we keep very busy in our lives seeking many things before we take time to seek the heart of God. Uh, admittedly, there are days when I don't get my devotional time done first thing in the morning. When I, it could be a number of things, but more often than not, when that happens, it's just simply because I allowed something else to become my primary focus that morning. I allowed something else to distract me and get me on another track. When we knock, <clears throat> we are reverently stepping before the Almighty God. who created everything. He is Savior. He's King, Waymaker, Messiah, Miracle Worker, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the Great I Am. And we are asking for permission to step into what He has for us. Not for Him to step into what we want for Him but permission to step into what he has for us. It's all about desiring, pursuing, and engaging in a relationship with God. That's what it means to ask and to seek and to, to knock. And knowing that as a result of that pursuit, as a result of that engagement, God, who is a good God, who is a loving God, who wants to give good gifts to you. God wants to give good gifts to you. God wants to give good gifts to you. 
but it begins with God knowing you. And you knowing God. He'll give you what you need. He'll reveal to you what you're looking for. And he will open that door of intimacy for you. So let me ask you this this morning. Where, where is your relationship with God? You see, a lot of people are, uh, live under that love God and love people mantra. And, and you may be one of them. You may say it's just important that we love God and love people. But are you loving God, the, loving God the way he told us to love him? Is that how you're loving him? If you are, great. With all of who you are. Are you loving people the way he told us to love people? The way that we want to be loved. And, and before you answer that, just be honest with yourself for just a second. And ask yourself, how do I want to be loved? Because I think sometimes we, we answer that and we say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm loving people the, the way that, that, that they want to be loved, really? Or the way that I want to be loved? Why don't you start with this? How do you want to be loved? How do you want people to care for you? How do you want people to listen to you? How do you want people to engage with you? How do you want people to provide for you and to just love on you? How do you answer that question? Because that is how you need to love them. That is how you need to care for them and to provide for them and to engage with them. That's what it means to love others the way that you would want to be loved. Are you giving them the benefit of doubt? <laughs> because you would probably appreciate the benefit of the doubt, wouldn't you? Are you giving them mercy and grace? Because you'd probably want mercy and grace, wouldn't you? These two things, these two relationships that we've looked at over the past couple of weeks, um, they're what I kind of like to call kingdom markers. They are they're indicators placed on our life that tell those around us that we are living a kingdom life. When you're loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and when you're loving others the way you want to be loved, it places a kingdom marker on your life, and people can look at you and say, man, there's something different about him there's something different about her well you have a kingdom marker on your life you have a kingdom of god mark on your life because how you conduct yourself how you deal with people how you handle your relationship with god the father is totally different maybe than someone else who's just walking around loving god and loving people it takes an entirely different level of commitment and sacrifice to love God with everything you have and to love people the way that you want to be loved. A whole different level of sacrifice. But when we're doing that, that's something that the world can look at and they can see as being entirely different than everyone else. We have allowed <clears throat> our focus in the church, oftentimes to be winning the world for Christ. We live by a Matthew 28 mindset. We know what I'm talking about, Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. What does it, says? What does it say? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name. 
We know this, yes? It's the Great Commission, and we have lived by that mindset. And so our whole focus has been on just winning as many people as we possibly can to the kingdom. And that's not a horribly bad thing, but the problem is we cannot separate what Jesus says in Matthew 28 with what Jesus said in Matthew 25. We cannot focus all of our attentions and all of our efforts on what Jesus said at the very end and forget what he said just a few chapters before that in Matthew chapter 25 when he says this, the Son of Man, when the Son of Man comes in all his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people. Listen, one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Jesus is saying here, when I return, there will be a separation. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right, and he will put the goats on his left. Is this familiar to you? If you're at home, raise your hand. No one can see you. And then it says this. Listen. Then the king will say to those on his right, come. Don't miss this, guys. We're so focused on winning people to Christ, we forget this. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. You ever been hungry? Come on, you ever been hungry? Yes? Don't you wish someone would give you something to eat when you're hungry? For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Jesus, the king, lists off all these things. He says, you come. You did all these things. And then it goes on, and the righteous, they go, when, when did we do those things? When did we give you something to drink? When did, we, when did we give you clothes to wear? When did we bring you into our homes? He says, Jesus says, when you did it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. And then he said to those on the left, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And their answer to God was, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he says, what you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Church, we cannot separate what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25 that I just read for you from what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28. We cannot do it. Our entire focus as a church cannot be, should not be, must not be on how many people can we get 
to get saved? How many people can we get to say a prayer? Our focus must be a combination of how many people's lives can we touch? How many people can we show the embrace of Jesus Christ? How many people can we love the way that I want to be loved, the way that we want to be loved? And in combination with that, how many of them can we walk into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? That's what we're called to do. That's how we love God and love others. That's how you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, and that's how you love others the way that you want to be loved. That's how we live a kingdom of God mindset that is fully and passionately chasing after God and is driven to show the love of God to all of those who are around us. The foundation for this message today was from Matthew chapter 7. Jesus asking, Jesus teaching about asking and seeking and knocking and What it really ultimately comes down to is the relationship that we have with Him. The faithfulness and the obedience of the walk that we have with Him every day. And I suppose this morning as I close this out, I just want to, I want to really challenge you with this because I, you know, we are, we are in, we are in very challenging days. We are in very trying days and some of you may have been experiencing this this strain of relationship with other people and it ties right in to a strain of relationship with god i'm continually amazed at the amount of anger and the amount of vitriol and the amount of bitterness that's coming out of the mouths of christians toward other people toward people that they used to sit in the same row with at church. It's just, I mean, for a lack of a better word, and I'm sure it's somewhere in the message translation, it's just stupid. But it also breaks my heart to see the way that, that we are tearing one another down. And it, and it all comes down to a lack of relationship. I shared this with somebody recently, maybe with you all at one point, uh, bonus round, Fellowship has been killed in COVID. And fellowship is at the heart of the church. Absent fellowship, we can't, we can't even begin to really demonstrate some of the love that we should have for one another. Fellowship breaks down barriers. Fellowship restores relationships. And we can't, we can't do it. It's not that we can't. Many of us are choosing not to. We're desiring not to. And, for, and I, I don't want you to know how I feel about this, guys. Be safe. I want you to be safe. Guard yourself, and I respect that. But some people are just using it as an excuse to not come to church, to not be a part of the fellowship. You know, I, God's presence is not contained to this building. Amen? 
But I'll tell you what, when we come in this place, I felt it this morning standing right over there and y'all were just worshiping and hands were raised and there was clapping and there was singing. There is something powerful about that. You can't replicate that in your living room. Love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when you do those things the way God has asked us to do them, the asking and the seeking and the knocking that you do will open up places you've never been, experiences you've never had, intimacy with God that you've always, always longed for. That's my desire for all of you here, for all of you who are watching online, that you would experience that level of intimacy, that you'd have that kind of relationship with God and that kind of relationship with others. As we think about this idea of a relationship with God, not just an idea, this principle, as we think about it, the thought that comes to my mind that I want to encourage you with this week is to never stop chasing after God. Never stop pursuing Him. Never stop seeking Him more and desiring to know more because that is how you have sustainability, longevity in a relationship with anybody, including your relationship with your Heavenly Father. So this week, seek His face above all things. Seek Him first before anything else. Nurture that relationship that He desires so badly to have with you. Thank you for being a part of this week's podcast. Um, we are nearing the end, very close to the end of our Manifesto teaching series. Uh, we're going to be talking in the coming uh, weeks about some final warnings that Jesus gives us as he, as he closes out his Sermon on the Mount. So keep listening, subscribe, share, let people know about this teaching. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.